Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us on Episode 2 of the Continuous Coach Podcast. My name is Mark Lange, and my co-host is my good friend and fellow coach, Darcy Bellier. We've received lots of great feedback from Episode 1 with our conversation with Bruce Codd, and are very excited to share with you our other episodes that are coming up. We've interviewed so many great minds from within and outside the game of lacrosse, and have learned so much already that we can instill within our own programs right away. As of time of this recording, you can find and follow us on multiple podcast platforms, including Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. We expect to be live on Apple Podcasts any day now. You can support us by following us on your preferred platform and then sharing our conversations via social media by tagging us at the Cont Coach on both Instagram and Twitter. Or you can send us an email at thecontinuouscoach at gmail.com. You can find links to all of these within our bio as well. Today's guest is Chris Byrne. Chris is someone who has an, had an excellent career in the world of hockey. Currently an amateur scout with the LA Kings covering the OHL and CIS hockey. He has spent so many years within the junior levels of hockey as well. As a kid, he played his junior hockey with both the Nepean Raiders and then the Kanata Lasers before having a cup of coffee in the minors, first in the now defunct Central Hockey League with Oklahoma City and then within the ECHL with a couple franchises. His first coaching position was back with the Nepean Raiders as an assistant before taking over as the GM and head coach for four seasons. His great success there led him to receive a job as an assistant coach with the Ottawa 67s, giving him the opportunity to apprentice under the legendary Brian Kilray for three seasons. He eventually worked his way up to become the head coach and later taken on the role not only as head coach, but as the GM as well. He's also a parent of university and high school athletes as well, and has spent time coaching his kids' teams in other sports. We really hope you enjoy our conversation and get as much out of it as we did. Get your notepads ready as you join us on our journey to be coaches who continuously strive to learn and get better. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for joining us, Chris. I think, uh, you know, when, when I look at your body of work and your resume, Chris, and, uh, and, and knowing you a little bit and knowing Nolan and, uh, and the things he said about you, um, I think the thing that impresses me the most is, you know, you played for the Raiders uh, uh, growing up, um, and that was your first uh, head coaching job, or the first one that I could at least find on the internet, right? So, uh, can you speak to that a little bit, how important that was for you to be able to go back to that specific program and, and be the head coach there? No, it was great. I, I grew up in the Pian, um, so played my minor hockey there and then, um, you know, uh, started uh, coaching the, the tier two team there. Uh, my One of my friends, his dad was the GM, so I came back from playing a little bit down in the minor, uh, you know, the East Coast League, Central League. Uh, played a little bit down there. When I came back, uh, they were they were coaching the team and asked me to help out. And I was an assistant coach there with those guys and kind of uh, took off from there. So I spent, I think it was nine years. Uh, I'm not great with dates, but uh, I think it was nine years with, with that uh, organization. And um, to be a player on that team, I was a, a captain in my last year. Uh, to go back and, and bring back some of the things that I'd seen in other places and then be able to try out some of the um, 
you know, I, I was a young coach at the time. So just to kind of fail and, and, and try things and have uh, owners or ownership that, that allowed me to make mistakes and, and learn from them and kind of grow as a coach was uh, was a really, uh, a really good spot for me. So was that always the plan? You mentioned you played down in the East Coast Hockey League. Was that always the plan to come back and coach, or was what, what was the first plan, or was that the first plan? Uh, I think you know, as as you're a kid growing up, you want to play in the NHL, and at a certain point, you figure out you're not good enough. So for for me, that was obviously you want to to play as long as you could. Um, I, I went to school and I came back and then started kind of working uh, in a full time role at the at the Royal Bank. Um, you know, selling group RSP plans and that kind of thing. So that was that was my day job. And as time went on uh, with the Raiders, I eventually, you know, became head coach and GM and then um, took on the marketing sales um, aspect of it. So it became a full-time job. So um, whether it was a plan or not, I think I always had in my mind that I would coach. Um I helped out a little bit with my brothers. Uh, I have a brother that's four years younger, so with his summer hockey teams, I would I would get on the ice and and, and be a little bit uh, involved with those teams. So that was really good. And uh, when I went down and played uh, for other coaches, I kept a, a notebook or a log of of different drills and systems and things that I kind of come across. So in the back of my mind, I, I guess I always thought I would coach. It was a, of interest to me. So um, yeah, that that. Not sure when that happened for me, but I think it was, you know, something in the back of my mind that I wanted to want to pursue or, or try to try to try to do. Awesome. So I know your time with the 67s, um, you started off as an assistant coach, and then you moved into the head coach and GM role. Um, you know, obviously, major junior is a little different than than junior A. Um, you have more time with the athletes and. Uh, you know, most of the guys who are there at least have desire to play pro, and that's what they're they're working towards. But you know, you you want to continue to maintain athletic development for uh, many of your athletes. And I know, in speaking with uh, one of your old assistant coaches, uh, Travis Crickard, about some athletic development that was uh, part of the program. Um, you know, how did you kind of involve uh, other sports or athletic development, just generally speaking? um in that time with the 67s yeah it was one of our or my philosophies thoughts that that it was our job to make players better and if you had players with deficiencies over you know the three or four times in your program that by the time they were done your program that deficiency you know hopefully you should be at least able to get it to an average rating or 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 not be a hindrance uh, and I think we attacked that many different ways. Um, you know, many guys in hockey have skating issues. So we would bring in skating coaches and, and do specific drills and have drills and, and off-ice training for guys. We had different skill sets come in and, and help our guys. And I think some of the off-ice stuff we did, we, we tried to get creative too. Um, and, and I think when we were, we had three or four young coaches in a group there and, and everyone had ideas um, and, and I think one of the funnier ideas we, you know, it actually w- was pretty good, but we called it athletic training, athletic athleticism, whatever it was. And basically it was circuit training. And we took our, our guys in pairs through all kinds of different sports and had them pass footballs with both hands and, and kick soccer balls with both feet and take lacrosse sticks and catch both ways, shoot. But so it was, it was all ambidextrous kind of stuff where, where guys were weak on one side and not on the other, and, and they'd have to go through the circuit. And then 
for, for competitive players. Then we count scores and number of catches and, and then it got really good because guys got into it. But I think one of the complaints you, you have these days in the hockey world and probably in other sports is, is guys are one sport athletes and they train and train and train for one sport and their bodies become, you know, they, they, you know, some hockey players don't run much if ever. And so their, their, their legs are, are always pushing out and they're always skating and they end up breaking down because they don't have the balance in the other uh, muscles or, or other areas of their hips or, or they have hip problems. So balancing out our guys was one of the things uh, that, that we tried to do a little bit. And, you know, it's not a concept that we came up with. It was stolen or, or, or seen somewhere else and brought into us. So I think that was the, uh, you know, one of the, you know, not strange, but different ideas that we had, but we would always have, thoughts or, 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 or chats about different ways of doing it. And there were no bad ideas. We would try different things. Some things worked and, and, and our guys were into and they worked and we kept going with them. And some of the things didn't work and then you move on. But if you don't try different things or if you don't try to bring in different things, you never quite, you're never getting better or, or never pushing your guys, if that makes sense. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. It definitely makes sense. So now, when you're when you're thinking about that and you're thinking about the overall athletic development, you know, either as the coach then or a scout now, what are you looking for in a hockey player besides the obvious skill sets? Are you looking for them to be well-rounded athletes? Are you looking for them to have experience in other sports, uh, sports-specific weight training? What what are you looking for? Yeah, I think you're you know if if someone's an athlete, there's a lot you can work with. You know, having someone that comes in and in maybe they haven't played that many other sports. Certainly, you know, kids coming up for, for hockey players, if they played lacrosse coming up, uh, that's always a good one for me because it's a, it, it's a great summer sport, especially for kids. And it creates, you know, there's lots of, of overlap for the two sports, but I think we're looking, you know, if, if it's an athletic person, then you can teach defense. You can teach some of, some of the skill work if, the, if they're natural athletes. So that definitely helps. It doesn't mean that's all, we look for or, or that's all that, that someone is scouting or looking for, but being an athletic person, having a, you know, an athletic frame definitely, definitely helps. So I want to go back to um, the P and Raiders days. Um, you know, I know you mentioned building the program up. Um, you were there for some time and it took a little bit to break through. Um, and there was some struggles along the way to become a championship team. So, as a group and as a, as a team, what are the ways that you're trying to uh, build up that uh, program to be a successful, you know, winning program? Well, I think the, the first thing that, that I thought about did was I looked at the most successful team in our league, right? So there, there was at the, at the time Cornwall was a really good team. And so if you, look, if you compare your program with theirs and what they're doing, and you stack both programs up, it's pretty, it's pretty easy to figure out where you're falling short. The first part for us, I think our practice time each week might've been three hours. It was somewhere in that range. And then these guys were on the ice almost every day. So we're trying to beat a, a better team who is practicing more and getting better than us each week because each week they have more practice. So trying to figure out what, the better teams in, in our league 
what they were doing and how they were doing, where they were recruiting, um, you know, what type of players they were getting. So you're kind of looking at that map or, or model and then trying to better it and do more. So we, we introduced, uh, you know, off-ice training after every practice. We brought in skating coaches. We brought in, you know, people that could help other voices. So I think, I think figuring out what the best teams do and bettering them, I think that's that was our kind of roadmap for for winning or or having a, a really uh, successful organization. So now you have like two years in a row, you guys win the league, uh, you're champions, and then uh, the following year you lose to Hawkesbury in the finals, and and then it looks like the the year after that um, you're in the finals again against Hawkesbury. So. You know, the previous year you're with the the group and you lose to Hawkesbury. The next year you're back in the same spot. What are you thinking as a team? Yeah, the funny, um, probably our the best team we had was that first. We won two in a row and we lost to Hawkesbury in the final. And that was probably our best team. We had a rash of kind of sickness and injuries. Our blue line was really good and we got beat up on the blue line and, and ended up losing losing that series. So I thought that was a series that, you know, I thought our team was better than when we went to the Royal Bank Cup the year before. But sometimes things just don't kind of measure the timing of of when it works out. The year after when we lost, I'm not not saying we didn't have any business in the final, but we had uh, gotten down in the first round. Uh, we, we didn't have nearly the same team we did in the other years. And we got down 3-1 in the first round and came back in 1-7. and seven. We got down 3-1 in the second round and then came back and won in seven. And then we got down 3-1 in the final and we won one game. And we couldn't win the next one to keep us going. So that was a team that didn't have as many players or, or as, ex, as experienced the team and kind of just clawed its way into, you know, into the final. So the year before would have been a disappointment because I thought it was our best team. The year after, we didn't have nearly the same experienced level of talent and those kids managed to find a way to get there. So that was the kind of differences. We turned over a ton of players in those kind of four years too. So it was good. It was a good, uh, it was a good time. Some of those, those kids, a uh, number of, of scholarships and, and players moved on to OHL. And so that was a, a good crew of players for sure. So you mentioned that, you know, sometimes teams don't mesh well, or it doesn't fit at the end, or you just, you peak at the wrong time. Um, you know, culture is a big word that's thrown around in sports now. What does the term culture mean to you? And, and what are you looking for, you know, um, to build that? Well, I, I think the the example of leadership and that, that leadership comes from the top. And you can't say we want this as our culture and we want to be hardworking and we want to be dedicated. And we want to do all these things. And, and the people at the top aren't doing what they're asking everyone else to do. So I think that's where it starts from day one. If you're if you're leaders, if if you're if you're top, uh, you know, players and also coaches, management, if the top part of the organization aren't doing what they say they want everyone else to do, there's a real disconnect. So I think that's the first part. And then uh, you have to have a, a culture. For me, would be having an environment where where players get better, where players have an opportunity to move on where there's benefit for players for being there. And then there's a benefit for, for coaches and, and, and parents and everyone to be involved. And, and I think bringing everyone together 
um, kind of creates its own culture and its own way of, of doing things. But certainly uh, I, I see the disconnect when everyone says, you know, we need to build a culture. I, I think just providing that leadership starts it and, and kind of, I thought when I, when I was in Nepean, a lot of the early stuff was me driving it and it got to the point where the players came in and as they became older players, they, they drove it and I wouldn't have to, I wouldn't have to manage guys in the room as much. I'd go to, I'd go to address the situation and it would already have been addressed. So that to me was the part where you know where you're in a really good spot. And in turn, yeah, that's when we started winning. When, when you're not the one having to dictate all the rules and, and rein guys in and make sure, you know, got to the point where I had a couple of guys, I had to rein in those guys from not running guys over so much and not keeping the guys overly accountable. See a guy get demolished at practice and what just happened here? Oh no, he did this, that, and the other thing. I said, well, just, like, just settle down a little bit here. But no, I think that, that that's when you know you're in a good spot when you have your players dictating you know, getting pissed off if someone breaks curfew, if someone isn't working hard in drills, if someone isn't doing what they're supposed to be when it comes from inside the dressing room, that's a really, uh, it, it's a really strong factor. For sure. Anytime the players are leading the charge with, you know, the maintaining of the standard of a, of a team, you know, you're in a good spot. Um, you know, obviously you've worked in two spots here, six, sevens and Raiders. Now you're doing the scouting thing with the LA Kings. Um, but you cut your chops as a coach fundamentally to be in the role you're at now. Um, so how do you maintain a high level of coaching and building the relationships with the players, uh, game in, game out, the practices, the overall environment, um, but still have to do the administrating, uh, you know, as a GM, um, being on top of drafts, uh, worrying about where certain guys are, are, our rooming or, or um, you know, all those kind of pieces that go with being a GM, but a major junior franchise and then a junior franchise, junior A franchise before that. Yeah. And I think there's two different things in, in the major junior ranks. When I did it, there were a number of guys doing it, maybe half. And then soon after it's really fallen off where they're in the OHL. There's only a few guys that do both jobs and it's just too difficult in the OHL, I consider it like there's three really important roles on a team. And one is the GM, one is the coach, and the other is, is the director of scouting. And you can do two of those roles, but you can't do three. And it's really difficult. You know, if, if you're the coach and GM, you can't be involved in scouting because you have too many other things to do. And you can be the GM and, and kind of head scout, but you can't coach. So I think you see now most teams are down to having separate, um, you know, jobs. And I think you'll, you'll, you're seeing better, more success or, or, or better run organizations when you have two people taking on those roles instead of one. So I think that's the change in major, in major junior. It was tough because a lot of times you're competing against, you know, Bob Bugner and Warren Reichel and, you know, Dale and Mark Hunter. And, you know, it's, it's tough when you have, both jobs and you're competing against guys that don't. If everyone was on the same page and everyone did both jobs, it's a lot easier to compete. Um, in the tier two ranks, most teams are run by a coach GM. So it's, you're all on the same kind of footing. And I think, you know, the, the prioritizing of, of um, <laughs> you know, 
prioritizing what's really important and, and when things have to be done and having a structure, being organized, having trusting people to, around you. And many times at that level, it's volunteers and people making next to nothing to help. So you really have to have a strong group of people around you uh, and, and, and really be organized. And I, I think I, I would get home from games on a Sunday in the PN and the, you know, after, you know, kids went to bed and dinner was over and whatever, I would do our practices for the week. So I would set up, think about what we had done, good and bad, over the past week. We had just played our final game on Sunday. We'd get our practice going for the next week. So I'd do a practice plan for the entire week. And that didn't mean, you know, if there was a, a tweak that needed to be made based on what happened Tuesday for Friday or whatever, I would do that. But I would already have that done going into the week. So I think taking care of the most important things first was always something I'd have a list, you know, every week and try to, to knock off the most important things first and, and kind of work my way down. And I can remember often sneaking into the office like after dinner or, or at night and nobody knew you were there and you tend to get, you know, two or three hours and you'd get everything done because you wouldn't be disturbed once. So, you know, you, you make it work and you're working long hours and, and you enjoy, you know, it's not work when you're enjoying it as much and learning as much. And so I, I had a great time in the, in that tier two loop because uh, I was able to do everything and had to do everything. And, and um, you know, again, there's so many good people around, but I was kind of the only full-time employee or only employee. So everything kind of fell my way, but uh, you know, being organized and, and setting your priorities would be how you kind of get it done. Chris, as a coach, I, I struggle with this too. Like, um, you know, delegating and trusting in the in the staff that you have, and trusting that they'll do it the right way and they'll do their 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 research. And so, um, how do you build that trust with your staff, particularly if it's people you don't know, someone that you went out and hired because you they were uh, networked into the position, or, or you, your coach coached them too and thought it'd be a good match? How do you how do you start off building that trust with your coaching staff and 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 delegating those uh, those responsibilities? Yeah, I think it's like anything else. It's earned. It's it's over time, and you know you give you give your assistant coaches smaller jobs to start, and when they do those well, you give them bigger jobs and. Um, making people uh, feel like they, they are a part of it and they get a chance to run something and do something. And I've had, you know, Darcy and I have had this chat a few times. Like it's, it's not easy. And especially when you want to do everything, when you want to be everything. And I, and I think one of the, one of the, the parts that I always thought was a lot of coaches think they have to run every drill and they have to be the guy shooting the ball in and blowing the whistle. And like, if you're, making the practice plan and you're setting the drills up and then you have someone running the drill it's to me more powerful because then you can coach you're not coaching when you're dumping pucks in or throwing a, a ball into the field or the coaching happens after the you know after someone's taken a rep and they come back on the sidelines or, or near the boards or whatever and now you're coaching and now you get to you know think about shooting off of this foot think about this and, and or even I would say probably that's when you get vocal and you're you're doing you know three out of four times you're just telling guys what a great job they did and and, and what a great pass that was and, and what a smart play it was and what a good stick they had and and then the fourth guy you're pulling over and say hey you know in this situation maybe think about that and I think that that's where 
the assistant coaches then get to run drills a little bit and you get into more of a coaching section. So with, I can remember on teams, it just depends on how good and, and solid the guys are around you, but especially warm up drills and first drills of the practice, I would have a lot of the times I would have my kind of lead assistant take the practice to, you know, half an hour in and I'd say, okay, well, today we talk about it beforehand. We want a warm up drill. We want to stretch. We want a one on oh, a two on oh, a one on one, a two on one, and a three on two. And you got half an hour, take me to that point in practice. And then I'm going to go over D zone coverage. I'm going to go over, you know, our power play breakout and I'm going to go over something else. So, there, that's a big carrot for, for your assistant, and you've laid out what you want, but he gets to make up the drills. He gets, you know, and after practice, you talk about it and say, you know what, I didn't like this one, and I like that one, or I like this and didn't like that, and it's back and forth. But I think it empowers people, and I think by, by having more people involved in a practice, uh, it's better. And I think when the best coach on the ice or the floor can do the most coaching, I think that's the best situation as well. It's the, the other point I, I and I Darcy and have had these these talks too is that your assistants are when you're running a drill, they're to take guys after the drill and explain things. They're to congratulate guys. They're to, to be vocal and, and, and really involved and not sitting on the boards and leaning up and drinking water and hanging out. It's not like everyone's a coach, everyone should be coaching, everyone should be involved. So I think that is the long way of saying what kind of where we were getting with that question. Everyone should have a role. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and it's tough because sometimes you, you don't have strong guys around you, and sometimes you've got great guys around you. And whatever it is, you got to make it work. So that, that's just reading your, your, your who's with you, and hopefully you have great guys. It's like hiding a seventh defenseman on the fourth line, and when you only have three lines kind of thing. That's it. <laughs> All right, we're going to switch gears a little bit to some uh, more rapid-fire questions. Um, yep. So, um, a memorable coach for you. A memorable coach? Is that what you yep. said? Well, yep. I mean, I coached with Brian Kilray, so that would have been, you know, for me, coaching with him was really uh, was really good. Um, I had been self-taught kind of going into it. Um, and gone to all the coaching clinics and, and gone and, and, you know, worked it myself, but I hadn't coached with an experienced coach and he was an old school coach. And I can remember going in the first bit of it thinking like, what are we doing? Like it's, it's different than maybe I would do. And I think once I realized that there was a method and <coughs> excuse me, a reason for what he did. Then I started accepting some of the, the ways he did things and, and saw the benefit in it. So uh, I think that was obviously a, a really good one for me. As a, as a parent, um, what are you looking for in, in a youth program that you put your kids in, regardless of what sport it is? Just um, the things you can control, like, like not all the time are you going to have, especially with lac like lacrosse in Ottawa isn't as big. You're not maybe going to have a group of competitive players or, or not but I look for organization I look for for coaches that are involved I, I look for for it to be you know worthwhile is my kid getting better is my kid engaged I think those would would be the things that, that stand out for me but certainly that the first telltale sign that you're you're into something good or not is whether it's organized you know, if, you, if you're supposed to be somewhere uh, at 7 30 and the coach shows up at, at 10 minutes to eight well 
chances are things aren't going to be <laughs> things aren't organized. things aren't going well yeah no it's probably not a good thing right <laughs> for sure so i'm an executive uh, with the glosser griffins as you know um what are three or four kind of core principles um you know, I should have as a value or, or just as an, as a value to any youth sports executive or administrator. Mm. Uh, I mean, accountability obviously is always for, for me, um, the leadership, as we talked about before, that the, the people that are at the top are leading and, and providing example. I think those two things for me are, are always key. I mean, you have to be hardworking to have success. So that, that for me is another one. So, yeah, I think that would be three or four things for me that really stand out as being things that have to be done correctly or, you know, organizations aren't successful without doing those things. Can you think of a, a specific moment um, from when you were a kid uh, where you were engaged with a coach and it, it made you either recognize, I think I want to coach one day or I love this sport. It, it kind of gave that particular passion to you. Can you think of one or two moments like that with a coach from your childhood? Yeah, I, I mean, maybe when I was, uh, we had we had a, a good. When I grew up, we had good teams, so there was always there was always a good coach or or a better coach involved. But I think when I when I saw um, my coach in the East Coast League, uh, I, I think those guys, Mark Kempel was was a coach, and just seeing that that could be a career, like you could do this, uh, and, and he was pretty organized and focused and. You know, um, just seeing that, uh, I, I played for Ar- Archie Mulligan uh, as well um, in Tier 2 and seeing that he had a full-time job coaching in, in Tier 2. So I think seeing some of those guys and seeing how they did it was was probably a, a benefit for me. Um, anything uh, you want to add that we haven't gone over or anything you want to discuss? No, I think always interesting, you know. I love I love uh, talking about coaching and and talking about sports. I think it, it's different in my job now that I don't coach a team, but I go to you know watch I don't know whatever number of games, 250 games in a, in a year, and I get to watch everyone else coach and see how coaches do it and see how coaches in Russia do it. So I think that's been one of the interesting things for me in in my kind of different job or different careers is actually watching how other guys coach and appreciate good, bad, however you want to say it, different types of coaches, different situations. So I think that part's been kind of, kind of interesting for, for me. Do you want to coach again, Chris? Like you watch these coaches coach and think, man, I miss that side of it. Is that something that you want to do again? Uh, you know, I, I've been lucky that uh, when my kids were, were growing up, I got to get involved a little bit in, in coaching in the summers where I coached every summer, uh, somebody's lacrosse team, one of my guys' lacrosse team. So uh, being involved in that way and learning a different sport was was really fun. And then I'd get back to, to, to scouting in the fall. So I haven't missed that part of it. I guess the tougher part for me is when I was coaching, the coaching part of it wasn't, you know, 100%. There was a big percentage of other things um, that I would do. So I don't miss doing all those other things. I miss the player development part and practicing and, and, and that aspect of coaching. Uh, but I also really like what I, what I'm doing now. And uh, it's a challenge to go find players and, and put lists together and, and figure uh, young players out for an NHL team. So I'm very happy doing what I do. Who's the, uh, who's the best player you've ever scouted, Chris, that ended up getting drafted by the Kings in your opinion? Oh, 
Yeah, we've had some good ones lately. So like like Quentin Byfield last year was the the highest ranking guy. So that that would be the highest ranking guy. Gabe Velarde were, were some of the others, but it's it's fun to see. Uh, it's really fun to see all the top players every year, and and now seeing guys in the playoffs. And I've been at it. Uh, you know, this is my sixth year. So the first guys I've scouted are now, you know, real good players in the NHL. So it's fun watching those guys on TV and, and kind of following through uh, with with their development and how they've gotten better. That's awesome. Well, uh, Chris, we thank you for joining us here today. We always ask, you know, who's someone that you think we should uh, we should jump on the podcast with? Who's the person who you think oh, uh, has shown that great uh, need to be a continuous coach? Uh, I don't know if you got a hold of Dave Smart, but I remember talking to him. I've talked to him a few times, and he's he's a real sharp guy and a, and a really good coach. So, if you get a hold of him, that would probably be a pretty good uh, probably be a pretty good guess. Awesome. Yeah, he's definitely on the list of someone that we want to talk to. So uh, we'll reach out to him for sure. Awesome. All right. Well, hey, thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. We'll see you later. I think we lost Darcy here at the connection issues. But uh, thanks for jumping on and we'll catch you later. Thanks, guys. See you later. Awesome. See you, Chris. Cheers. It was really great to talk to Chris there, Darcy. Yeah, I always like talking to Chris. Um, So level headed, uh, lots of experiences in in sport. Uh, Obviously, his greatest experiences are in hockey. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I tried to, and one of the questions I tried to instigate him a little bit, I know he had a rough season with one of his, uh, six to sevens teams. And I asked him about athletic development and, you know, what he did with that group, uh, over the course of the season. Cause I know that they were, they were struggling on the ice and, and, um, and speaking to other people about that year and about Chris, um, you know, he never got frustrated with the group. He never took the opportunity to dress anybody down. Uh, understanding that their skills were what they were and they were going to do whatever they could over the course of the year to get better uh, and trying to improve them as athletes, uh, which I I thought was you know a strong uh, you know example of, of Chris as the coach and his mentality and approach you know and and then one of the one of the parts there we asked about you know uh, he's a scout now at the LA Kings but what do you look for in terms of an athlete and you know how do you feel multi-sport athletes and he mentioned. Um, you know, as a hockey scout, just some guys who play hockey year round for year and years and years and years, and just they have weak hips and their body starts to break down in certain areas because of overuse um, and the muscular development is is only in certain parts of their body. So, you know, that was one thing to take away for me. Um, you know, really thinking about that even until the you know kids are into their mid-teens, you know, late teens, like they don't we don't want them focused on the one 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 sport because at the end of the day, they're going to break down, and we want someone who's going to last forever and enjoy movements and athletics. And so that was a, a takeaway for me uh, from Chris. Yeah, I think when we're talking about multi-sport athletes, you know, the big topic is burnout, right? And burnout, burnout, burnout. But I thought that was a great point by Chris was it's not just about uh, burnout. It's about, you know, how do you move and how do you move when you're 40? Right. You know, I think that's a big thing that we we miss out on when we're having, you know, nine, 10, 11 year olds only playing one sport. And in Chris's world of hockey, but whether that's hockey, soccer, lacrosse or whatever it is, if you're doing the same thing, I can remember uh, Teal Green. He was a wide receiver for the Miami uh, Dolphins and he was awesome. He played at the University of Miami, I believe. And but there he just ran straight down the field. He never really cut. And his first cut, he didn't know how to cut, and he blew his knee out with the Dolphins, right? And it was a, oh, no. a big thing. I, I think he came back and blew his knee out again uh, later oh, on, man. too, right? You know, and it's just a guy who I remember was a kid at the time, but 
read how they attributed that to 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 him being a a, a one sport athlete, right? Just a sprinter. Um, I think too the other thing you brought up is he did a good job at not trusting down the players, but also having a culture that's player led, right? He talked about that, which was really important. I think that's you know he mentioned you know you have a good culture when when your guys are telling people in the locker room to clean it up, right? And I think that's a uh, a really good point by him. Sometimes we have the tendency, or at least I have the tendency, to overemphasize what our culture is going to be as opposed to just having accountability, holding people accountable, and then having that trickle down uh, year after year after year, which I thought was a, a really great resource that we can take from it as well. Yeah. He mentioned, uh, you know, one of his guys uh, blowing somebody up in practice because they were late or I can't remember what the, what the reason was, but and Chris had to say, okay, well I get it, but slow down. <laughs> let's <laughs> let's not destroy down. our team dynamic too much here. Uh, but appreciate that you're so into and dedicated to our, um, you know, our standards of excellence. Um, the 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 big thing that I've talked with Chris before, and and he mentioned again in the podcast was, um, you know, delegating and how to delegate effectively. Um, typically, the head coach is the best teacher, and so if that is the case, then uh, why have the head coach run all the drills and be, you know, the one who's starting a drill with a ball, um, passing, whatever the structure is. Uh, because then you don't have the ability to pull someone aside at the end of a, a rep and say, great job, or pull this person aside and say, okay, what did you see here? Uh, maybe you want to try this. Um, and, and just so the way in which he would structure a practice and his coaching staff to make sure that, uh, you know, the assistants um, were taking a lead in a lot of a lot of the, the components of practice. Like I think he said in one of the parts there about um, maybe up to 30 minutes into a practice, he's going to have his assistant coach lead. I mean, that's a big a big carrot, as he said, the word he used. But um, I would just think to myself, I'm the assistant coach. My head coach is saying, okay, you got 30 minutes of practice. You're starting practice. I mean, that's the tone for practice right there. If that 30, first 30 minutes doesn't go well, the practice isn't going to go well itself. So uh, that speaks to Chris's delegation. And then that's an opportunity for him to talk to players one-on-one. Um, and then, you know, as a guy's going through certain drills, he can pull them aside and then come in later and talk with the you know the systems and and ways in which the team is supposed to play, um, but allow uh, himself to make those corrections for individual players for their skill development. Uh, and so that's one thing uh, I'll definitely you know you always try and do. I mean you know this is all things we'll try and implement, right? But uh, that was a good point by him. Yeah, I think uh, Brennan Gorman, who was a great coach, used to be coach out at uh, uh, Babson College in uh, in the Boston area. I remember talking to him a couple times, and I think I was talking to him as like uh, interest in a job opening that he had. I believe it was the context of the conversation when we started talking about what he does as a head coach, and he said that his his best years are when he can, you know, Nick Saban ask coach his coaches, and he watches practice from the press box. Right. And he doesn't really he's just up there observing, seeing what's going on, taking notes, you know, and then, you know, gets down there at a certain time during practice when it's OK. Now it's it's offense, defense time or whatever it is. Right. But as far as the drill goes, he's letting them run it while he's up high evaluating, which I thought was a uh, a unique way to look at it. Um, the other thing that I really pulled out of Chris's conversation, though, is how we started talking about small sided games and how, you know, yeah, and, and we we, I said this again uh, during the conversation, but, you know, uh, I thought his take was great about how, you know, keep it simple, right? Keep it simple, stupid, the old kiss method. And and we, we have these small-sided games. We have these drills that look easy on paper but are simple and effective. And you always have that, that youth coach, that high school coach, or even that, you know, university collegiate junior coach 
that's um that's trying to add on to that drill to make it better right as opposed to just saying no this drill is here for a purpose this system was placed here on a purpose and and just stick to it you know and and he also talked in that same vein about how his assistant coaches he's looking for guys that that don't want to have fun he's looking for guys that want to be coaches Right. And I think that's a really, you know, good tip. I think when I back when I was 21 years old and, and still trying to be a coach, I wanted to get out there with my stick and run around and play with it, play with the guy still. Right. As opposed to stepping back and just being a coach. And the, the quicker you can learn that, the quicker you're going to see success as a, as a young coach, I think. Absolutely. You have to realize the playing days are over and be willing to sit back and and uh, and not jump into every single drill. <laughs> And sure. uh, you know, tone down the tone down some of the intensity a little bit. I think that comes with being a player. Um, so thank everyone for listening to our episode with Chris Byrne. Uh, look forward to uh, hearing any feedback you have, um, and uh, hope you join us for the next conversation. Awesome. Have a great day, guys.